Hello and welcome to Clark's Legal's latest data protection podcast. My name is Kira and I'm joined today by my colleague Oscar to discuss a data protection topic that appears to have generated a great deal of interest in recent weeks, the data subject access request. On today's podcast, we will be talking about DSARs in an employment law context, as they often appear where there are ongoing disputes between a worker and the employer. We will take you through what exactly DSARs is, how one is made and how companies should respond if they receive one. So to kick off, let's discuss first what DSARs are and how they work. So individuals have the right to access and receive a copy of their personal data. In order to exercise this right of access, individuals who are known as the data subjects can make a data subject access request or DSAR. An individual has the right to know whether their employer is processing personal data belonging to them. And if so, they're entitled to a copy of that data. We are going to hear the term personal data a lot on this podcast, and it is important that both the individual and the employer understand what types of data are covered by the personal data definition. Kiara, can you just give us a brief explanation of what personal data covers? So personal data has two aspects that we need to be aware of. Firstly, personal data is any information relating to an identified or identifiable living individual which is the definition as set out under UK GDPR and the Data Protection Act 2018. What this means is that information that can directly identify someone, such as their name, their email address, their mobile number, etc., and information that indirectly identifies someone, such as a physical, mental, economic or social characteristic, i.e. the young ginger lady who works for Clark's Legal, will all be caught by the definition. This means that personal data that has been anonymised by stripping personal data of sufficient elements so that the individual can no longer be identified would not be subject to UK GDPR. Secondly, to be personal data, it must relate to the individual as per the ICO guidelines. Data that identifies a person, even if not directly as we've just discussed, may be personal data if you're processing it to learn or record something about that person or its processing will impact the individual. So key questions to ask here would include whether the content of the data is about an individual, whether the purpose you're processing the information for will make information personal data, i.e. will it be used to learn about or evaluate or treat or decide something or influence the status or behaviour of an individual, and will the data impact or have the potential to impact the individual. Um, Personal data can also catch data that is inaccurate as it still relates to that individual. For example, in a situation where the data subject is confused with someone else, because the information will relate to them, for example, it'll be used to make a decision about them, it will be caught by the definition. Now that we have some understanding of what personal data is, let's talk through how an individual or a data subject would go about accessing their data. This is where DSARS comes in. There's no prescribed or formal method of making a DSARS, though it is good practice for employees to have a preferred method to set out in their data protection policies. DSARS can be made verbally or in writing or submitted by email, letter or social media. In order to ensure that there is no delay in dealing with DSARS, it's best to make DSARS in writing. There is no requirement to address a DSARS to anyone in particular. For employers, this means that when a DSARS is received, it's very important to pass it on onto the person who deals with data protection matters as quickly as possible, for reasons we'll talk about in a moment. 
It is possible to ask for all the data the organisation processes about you, but there is a risk in doing so as it may result in a lot of unnecessary information being disclosed to you. It can also run the risk of the employer either refusing to deal with your DSAR or to charge you a fee for administrative costs on the grounds that your request is seen as manifestly unfounded or vexatious. It is important to highlight here that it is not an easy test to satisfy. ICO guideline states that these grounds can be relied on where the individual has no intention of actually exercising their rights of access, or it is malicious or intended to cause disruption. If, as an employee, you are making a DSAR for a particular reason, it is best to refine your DSAR and provide a time frame, or identify people who are likely to have processed the information you are seeking, or the key search terms that you'd like to be used. It is also good practice to include ID with your request in order to avoid processing delays. Dealing with a DSARS can be very time consuming and an expensive task, so it is important to have a clear process for dealing with them in place. On receiving a request, the first thing to check is whether you process information about the person making the request, and if so, how wide the individual's request is. If the individual's request is not clear, the employer should contact them as soon as possible to clarify what data the individual is looking for. Employers must deal with a DSAR without undue delay and within one month of receiving the request or clarifying the scope. So if you as the employer receive a request on the 1st of January, you must respond by the 1st of February. It is possible to extend this period by a further two months in situations where the request is complex or a number of requests have been made at once. If an extension is required, the employer must inform the employee making the request as soon as possible, along with an explanation as to why an extension is required. Reasons for asking for an extension could include how complicated it is for the employer to retrieve the information, such as pulling them from electronic archives. Um, there's a lot of sensitive information caught by the request, or there is a need to obtain specialist legal advice. If a request involves a very large volume of information, this can add to the complexity, but it will not on its own be a sufficient reason for an extension. Once the scope and timeline are understood, the employer should formally acknowledge the request and begin locating data. This may involve a search of the employee's email inboxes, personal files or messages on platforms such as Teams or Slack. Employers must use reasonable efforts to locate the information. This does not mean that employer must take a leave no stone on turn approach. However, they must give the genuine and extensive effort to locate the data. Once the documents or emails that contain the individual's personal data have been identified, the employer will need to review the documents to ensure that only documents that fall inside the scope of the DESA are included. The employer will also need to review the data to check whether the personal data of other people is caught in the documents and if so, whether this will need to be redacted. Among other factors, this will include consideration of whether those individuals have consented to their data being disclosed as part of the DSAR. The employer will also need to review the documents called by the DSARs to check for commercial or financial information. If this type of information is called, then the employer will need to determine whether to redact or withhold entirely. It is also for the employer to remove any duplicate documents from those caught by the DSARs. This is a time-consuming process depending on the volume of documents and level of redaction. So employers should ensure they have sufficient time left to complete this.
So once the employer has identified the documents to be disclosed and they've removed or redacted the information as necessary, they will need to provide copies of the personal data to the individual making the request. Unless the individual has expressly requested hard copies of the data, this will usually be by commonly used electronic means, such as PDFs or via a SharePoint site. The copies of the documents should also be accompanied by a formal response letter. The letter should include information about the following. Any information regarding the individual's rights, the purpose for which their data was processed, any categories of the personal data caught, and information on how long it will be retained for, among other information as well. It is also important to inform the individual what information has been omitted from the DSARS and of their rights to lodge a complaint with the Information Commissioner. And there you have it, that's our whistle-stop tour of what a DSAR is, how to make one and how to respond to one. If you have any questions at all about any aspect of the DSAR process or need some advice on how to respond to a DSAR, our employment team would be more than happy to assist you. Thank you for listening to our podcast.